A few weeks ago, we started our new series. You can see it on the screen behind me here. We're talking about this idea of walking in wisdom, how to grow in godliness, how to avoid costly mistakes, how to get ahead in life as we look at the book of Proverbs. And so we're continuing our study of Proverbs today, and we're in chapter 3. And for many years, I've heard people reference chapter 3 as having a section that some people consider maybe their favorite part of the Bible. I don't know if for some of you, your favorite verses might actually be in the section that we're looking at today. It's a very popular section of Scripture, and for good reason. But today we're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to be looking at the first 12 verses of Proverbs 3. And what I'm proposing that we will see as we look at this passage, and I think you'll agree, is that in this portion of Scripture, we're shown a blueprint for living a long and peaceful life. In fact, that's essentially what's said in the opening verses. And so, if you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. I'm going to read verse 1 down to verse 12, and then uh, we'll pray together. But this is what it says, starting in verse 1. It says, "'My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil." It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to be able to carve out some time together right now and to look at this portion of your word. Lord, we're grateful for it. We're grateful that you've given us access to it. We're grateful for the fact that that we have the privilege to learn from it. We're grateful for the fact that you reveal things to us that, naturally speaking, we would not have known and we would not have figured out. And so, Lord, as we look at this portion of your word, we pray that our understanding would grow. We pray that that our, our trust in you would develop. And uh, we pray that ultimately we would accept this blueprint that you're giving to us that demonstrates what a long and peaceful life, a life of faith that's, that's being blessed and guided and directed by you, what that looks like. So, Lord, we commit this time to you now. We pray that you would just help us as we seek to be open to understand these things. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, when I was in seventh grade, I... I and by the way, how many of you would say that that's possibly one of the most difficult seasons of your life? I mean, for me it was at least. Seventh grade. A lot of good stories come from seventh grade, though. But when I was in seventh grade, I had a particular science teacher who used to share interesting things. And in addition to talking about science, he would try and talk about just different life lessons that he thought he could bring application from whatever we were studying. But our science teacher was, was talking about uh, biological and sociological factors that tend to lead and tend to contribute to a lengthier lifespan. 
So that's what we were talking about. Seventh grade, I still remember, you know, where my seat was. I was like two-thirds of the way back on the right-hand side, looking to the front of the classroom there. And uh, in the midst of teaching on that, our teacher asked this question. He, he said, how many of you would like to live to be 100 years old? So he said, how many of you would like to live to be 100 years old? And most of the class raised their hands. But I didn't. I didn't raise my hand. And he thought that was odd, so he looked at me, and he asked a follow-up question, and, and he said, typically when I ask students a question like that, they all raise their hands. Why didn't you raise yours? He really wanted to know. And I gave a reply that was 50% honest, and 50% a complete attempt to look cool and rebellious among my peers, Right? And I answered, this isn't exactly what I said, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it nicer than what I said. I said to him, with all the attitude a seventh grade me could bring up, I was like, life stinks. That's what I said to him, with like a sneer. And it's, it cracks me up when I look back at that now. And it also, like, I feel some compassion for, for young me when I think back to that season of my life. But when I look back at what was going on during that season of my life, And when I consider some of my major influences at that time, it doesn't surprise me that I said that. It seems very consistent with what was going on in my day-to-day life. But now, if I was asked that question, if you asked me that question right now, I would give a very different answer. I happen to enjoy life, and I'm more convinced than ever that it's a gift from God. So he hasn't asked me a follow-up question in my 40s, but if he did... I would answer in the affirmative. Yes, I would be more than happy to live to be 100 years of age. Well, we don't know how many, how many days the Lord has ordained for us on this earth. We have no idea. You have no idea for you. I have no idea for me. It's different for us all. But when we look at the portion of Scripture that we just looked at from Proverbs chapter 3, we're given a blueprint that most certainly can lead to a long and peaceful life. In fact, that's what it tells us there. And the counsel that we're given in this portion of Scripture, it's priceless counsel. It's valuable counsel, however many days the Lord blesses you with here on this earth. And so we're going to look through it, and I'm going to suggest five things that are brought up in this blueprint here. We're just going to look at them one at a time and, uh, and review them and hopefully apply these things to our day-to-day lives. And the first one is this. When you look again at verses 1 and 2, it tells us, remember what you were taught. There it says this. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Now, one of the greatest privileges that I've been given in the course of my life is the privilege of being a father to four great children. I love them. I'm proud of them. And I'm glad that I get to spend large portions of my life together with them. And on a daily basis, they ask me questions, and then I do my best to try and give them answers, and I've never been shy about trying to offer some of my opinions. In fact, in my mind, my opinions are barely opinions, you know? They're like, yeah, I mean, I guess you could call it an opinion, but in my mind, it's like my code of ethics, you know? It's it's just fact, right, in my mind? But uh, I've never been shy about sharing my opinions. I've never been shy about sharing my insights with them, and here's the interesting part that every parent can identify with, and that's this. Sometimes your children accept your counsel eagerly, and other times 
they reject it and venture out on their own. And that's the same pattern that every one of us follow over the course of our lives. Sometimes we accept counsel readily and eagerly, and other times we completely reject it. But I'm sure most of us can testify to the fact that that things tend to go better when we listen to what we were taught. But I have to admit that in my life, sometimes I've had to learn the hard way. Now, as he does in multiple portions of the book of Proverbs, Solomon writes this section like a father giving advice to his son. That's a pattern of communication that you see throughout the book of Proverbs. Like a father giving advice to his son, this proverb here is being delivered. And this approach, what it does is it conveys the heart of a loving father toward his child. It also gives us a glimpse of the loving heart of God the Father toward his children. And these verses set the tone for what Solomon's about to elaborate on as we work our way through these verses today. And he's basically saying, if we want to avoid an untimely demise, and if we want to experience a peaceful life, a a life that's not filled with needless pain, a life that is not filled with needless regret, we would be wise to listen to the counsel of those who love us and have walked a mile in our shoes just one short generation ago. And above that, we would be wise to listen to the counsel that Jesus Christ has given to us through His teaching. Because when we look at these portions of Scripture from the book of Proverbs, what it's ultimately doing is showing us that God wants us to have wisdom. And Scripture makes it abundantly clear that Jesus Christ is the personification of wisdom. When Christ came to this earth, He displayed for us the divine wisdom and counsel of God. So when we think about wisdom as believers in Jesus Christ, we're ultimately looking to apply the the whole counsel of God's Word to our lives, and we're looking to the example of Jesus as to how that is done. So we look at the wise counsel that Christ has given to us through His teaching, and one of the benefits that we have as believers in Jesus Christ, and Christ reveals this fact to us, He tells us that we are being actively helped to remember His words. I find that useful when we're going through Proverbs and when I'm reading through the Scriptures and when I'm living out my day-to-day life, to know that I'm not being expected to do this in my own strength and in my own counsel, that I'm actively being helped to remember the words of God. I'm actively being helped to remember the teaching of Christ. Specifically, Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit intentionally and powerfully reminds us of what Jesus has said to us. Look at what it says in John chapter 14, verses 25 and 26. It says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So we're encouraged to remember what we've been taught. But we're also told that the Holy Spirit, He actively brings to remembrance, He brings to our mind the things that Jesus communicated. And Jesus revealed that in John chapter 14. So I wanted to bring that up as a foundational thought as we walk our way through this blueprint that Solomon gives us here in Proverbs chapter 3. Now something else that the Scripture brings up as we work our way toward Proverbs 3, the next part of this blueprint is this, this idea of remaining loving and faithful. 
Well, what did Solomon say about that? What is this idea of remaining loving and faithful all about? If we're trying to examine this blueprint for living a long and peaceful life, how does remaining loving and faithful actually work its way into that? In Proverbs 3, verses 3 and 4, Solomon said this. He said, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Let's pause there for just a second. So I'm grateful that throughout the course of our days, we have the privilege of getting to know the Lord better and better. All throughout the course of our days, all throughout the course of your life, all throughout the course of my life, that's a privilege that the Lord's given to us. We have the privilege to know Him better and better. He has revealed Himself to us. And he's historically told us more about himself so we would understand things like his nature and his character. The Lord wants to be known by us. He's not trying to remain mysterious. He's he's not trying to, to hold himself off at a distance from us. He's revealing himself to us. He wants to have day to day fellowship with you and with me. Now, during the days of Moses, so bring your your thinking back to the early days of the book of Genesis, or the early, early chapters of the book of Genesis, and, and then even, you know, uh, as the Lord's revealing Himself there, and then when you get into the early chapters of the book of Exodus, and you see that story continuing, you watch the process that God has gone through to reveal Himself to people. And as we get into the story of Moses, as you, as you get into the book of Exodus in particular, after seeing generations of God revealing Himself to, to those that came before Moses, You see, Moses, at the time of the exodus of the people of Israel, uh, leading the people of Israel toward the promised land. And even in that context, you have the Lord revealing himself to humanity in very specific ways. He revealed himself to Moses in particular in powerful ways. And during that season, the Lord made it clear to Moses, as he was revealing himself to Moses, that, that by nature, he was merciful, gracious, patient, loving, and faithful. Look at what it tells us in the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 34, verse 6. This is what it says. As the book of Exodus is continuing here, it says, "...the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness." So again, notice this, you know, that the, the, the Lord says to Moses, look, I'm I'm a God who is merciful and gracious. I'm slow to anger. I'm abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is what the Lord's revealing to us about His character and about His nature. This is what He revealed to Moses, and He inspired Moses to write these things down. And here you and I are living generations after that, and we have the privilege to, to remember that our Lord is indeed loving and faithful. And all of these other things that He's revealed to Himself, or to us about Himself in Scripture... Now, Solomon, as we jump back to Proverbs 3, Solomon was familiar with what the Lord had revealed about himself back in the days of Moses. And as the Holy Spirit was inspiring Solomon to write these things down, Solomon encouraged us to reflect the heart of God by remaining loving and faithful. So that's what God's revealed to us about himself And since God has displayed that He Himself is loving and faithful, we are encouraged to model the heart of God, to reflect the heart of God. I often like to think of my life as a mirror 
You and I are to, are to be reflecting the glory of God, the image of God, the character of God as He does His work in and through us. And that's what Solomon is ultimately calling to our attention. He was familiar with Exodus chapter 34. He was familiar with what, with what the Lord had revealed to Moses. And now he's bringing this to our attention as the Holy Spirit inspires him to write these things down. He's saying, listen, we too are to reflect the heart of God in being loving and faithful. And again, this points our hearts to Jesus Christ who makes this possible for us. Through faith in Jesus Christ, this is possible. Because when we trust in Christ, Scripture makes it abundantly clear to us that our heart is changed, our eyes are opened, and our desires are reformed. So when your heart's changed, and your eyes are open, and your desires are reformed, you see life completely differently than you saw it before that reformation took place, before that transformation took place. The Lord's making you new, and He's not making you in such a way that you would reflect who you once were. The transformation that's happening in your life and my life, as we trust in Christ, is a transformation that's, that's trying to make us reflect the heart of Christ, to reflect the heart of God. The very things that Solomon is, is conveying here, this idea of, of, you know, one of these aspects of the blueprint of the life that the Lord's called us to lead is that we would be loving and faithful like He is loving and faithful. But again, we can't do that in our own strength, so He empowers us and transforms us to even care about that. So He's doing that for you, and He's doing that for me, and Solomon is encouraging us to value the things that God values and to want the things that God wants. And if we actively demonstrate the fact that we value love, and we actively demonstrate that we value faithfulness, by lavishly bestowing these things upon others that the Lord brings into our lives, Solomon tells us here that we will find favor and success in the sight of God and man. And basically what he's conveying here is this idea that the Father will delight to see us reflecting His heart, and others will grow to respect us because we're demonstrating the fact that we value, care for, and respect them. That's something the Lord demonstrates to us, and He invites us to demonstrate it to others. And so Solomon says, listen, this is part of this blueprint, this idea of of living a long and peaceful life. This is something that you're called to value. This is something the Lord is actually empowering in you and me. Something else that Solomon brings up in this portion of Scripture, and, and this is probably the section that at least for some of you, it's very likely that this may be one of your favorite portions of Scripture. In fact, all throughout the course of my days and in knowing other believers and in interacting with other believers, many people have told me that this portion of Proverbs chapter 3 is actually their favorite part of the Bible and a portion of Scripture that they remind themselves of regularly. Is there anyone here that, that finds this coming back to their mind with, with a lot of regularity? Yeah, I thought so. Uh, that does not surprise me. So look at what it says. I'll reread it. We read it a few moments ago, but I'll reread it again. I'm going to read verses 5 through 8 of Proverbs 3, but it's telling us here to trust in the Lord. It says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Isn't that a beautiful section of Scripture? Inviting us to trust the Lord, showing us what comes from that faith, what comes from that trust. My wife and I have um, a pattern to our week. We are creatures of habit. 
Um, God knew ahead of time that, that our personalities would work pretty well together. And uh, 99% of the time, I think my wife would agree with that. There's sometimes that there's kind of 1% of my personality that would be a challenge for anybody to put up with. <laughs> so uh, I certainly understand that. But one of the things that, that we really enjoy doing, we've made it a pattern as, as often as we can, uh, we, we try to go out on Friday nights. It's a little bit easier now that our kids are older. You know, it was a lot harder when our kids were, were small. We had to get a little bit more creative. But on Friday nights, we've decided, let's, let's just carve out time to go to a restaurant. And we usually go to the same place. Sometimes we get adventurous and mix it up, and, and then we're like, ah, let's go back to the other place, you know. Uh, but we go out to eat, and then we take a walk if the weather's nice. And then we finish the evening usually with ice cream if the weather's warm or coffee if the, if the weather's cold. And it's kind of like a holiday in the middle, or like in every week that you could kind of gear your mind toward looking forward to. And, I, and we, we do that every week, and, and uh, it's something that, um, that we've just made part of our pattern. And I enjoy our conversations on Friday nights because among the things that we talk about, you know, we talk about things that we care about. We think of, talk about things that, that are ambitions that we would like to fulfill at some point. But we also do a, a healthy dose of reminiscing at this point. We reminisce. You know, we're both in our mid-40s now, so it blows my mind when I think about the fact that my wife and I actually started dating when we were still teenagers, you know, at the very end of our teenage years, I was a freshman in college when I met my wife. And we were both still teenagers when we started dating. And I, I think about that, I'm like, wow, you know, we're in our mid-40s now. We've been together since we were teenagers. It's starting to seem more and more significant to me. And one of the things that kind of amazes me is that every day, as a man in his mid-40s, I get to enjoy the fruit of choices that I made when I was young. So there were decisions that I made when I was young that every day now, a man, as a man in my 40s, I get to enjoy the fruit of those decisions. And I think, wow, like if I could go back to 18-year-old me, I would want to give 18-year-old me a high five and say, I'm just going to let you know, she's a good pick. It works out. Be smarter in your first 10 years of marriage. Learn to be nicer quicker because you're going to like the next season of your marriage better once you grow up a little. But she will stick through all of that with you while you grow up. And it's like, oh, okay, well, that's certainly helpful to know, right? Thankfully, it all worked out. But during my teen years, and many of you are in your teen years, and, and uh, some of you, could, if, you're, if you're past your teen years, I'm sure you can well remember this, I was being peppered with advice from all different angles. And I was certainly impressionable in the sense that I wanted advice from all different angles, and so, whether you're looking for it or not, people offer it to you. And so, I was being offered advice from all different angles, and some of the counsel was wise. I received some good counsel during that season of my life, but depending on where the counsel was coming from, some of the counsel I received during that season of my life was terrible counsel. I received some absolutely terrible counsel from a variety of people that I interacted with during that foundational season. Again, I know I'm not the only one that has stories about that. You can probably testify to the same exact thing. But one of the things that I'm grateful for is that I started to listen to the counsel that the Lord was giving me in His Word at a young age. That's what started to become the anchor. That started to become the standard for me during that season 
And I was grateful for that. I'm particularly grateful when I look back at that because instead of going through that season of my life over-trusting my own wisdom, I started trusting the wisdom that we're given in Scripture as the Lord revealed these things to us and, and, and conveyed it in His Word, and it had a huge impact on the trajectory of my life. And I think that that's the point, right? You know, as we look at these things, as we see what Scripture actually conveys here, I think that's the point, that it's supposed to have a huge impact on the trajectory of your life. And basically, the deal is this, the sooner we learn to trust the Lord's wisdom above our own ideas, the better it goes. So the sooner you learn to listen to the Lord's wisdom, the sooner I learn to, the Lord's, learn to listen to the Lord's wisdom, the better it goes. And Solomon encourages us here to be people who trust the Lord with our whole heart instead of idolizing ourselves, instead of idolizing our own ideas. And he encourages us to acknowledge the Lord as the one who is in charge of our lives so ultimately we don't veer off course. And he challenges us, as he does throughout the book of Proverbs, to fear the Lord and to shun evil, to fear the Lord and turn away from evil, to revere, to respect the Lord and turn away from evil. And all that being said, there is no more peaceful way to live your life than to go through your days trusting the Lord, just like this passage says. So what does that mean? You know, what does that look like just on a a day-to-day basis for you and for me? That means that when hard days come, and they certainly will, and they don't always give you a whole lot of warning, when hard days come, we can trust that the Lord has a purpose for the lessons that we're learning in the midst of those hard days. When we're troubled about all the things that we can't control, and the older I get, the more I realize that most things in life I cannot control. So when we start to feel troubled about the things that we can't control, we can step back and be glad that God has everything under His control. I think that's part of the fruit of trusting in the Lord. I think when we're tempted to start living in the past, do you ever do that? Do you ever just kind of live in the past and get stuck in it? I have to tell you, so I felt emotionally impacted, particularly during the first two months of things kind of shutting down, you know, in the, you know once we got into March and April of like the, the pandemic season. It really was having a negative emotional impact on me, and I found it very difficult. And uh, I was feeling isolated. I was feeling like really challenged. I was, I, was not, I was not liking what I was experiencing. And one of the things that I was really wrestling with during that time was just those feelings of isolation. I started to feel maybe a little bit overly nostalgic. And I started living in the past. And you know what was bringing me a lot of comfort? To listen to the music that I liked to listen to when I was in high school. And I would just listen to it constantly. And I, I thought, you know what? And I found myself drifting toward that. And just thinking back to what life was like before things felt so upended, and that was where I was trying to find a sense of comfort. And then I think to myself, well, Scripture also says it's not really wise to overdwell on the past and say, oh, I wish things were like that now, and I wish things were like that now. That's not really a healthy spot for your mind to to stay stuck in. And so what I think, you know, like when we're thinking about um, what life is like, when we're tempted to start living in the past, I think one of the fruits that, that, that comes from, from actually trusting in the Lord is that we start looking forward to the future instead of overdwelling on the past. I think we start looking for the fact that, that Christ has told us that the day is coming when He's going to return. And my heart is supposed to take comfort in that right now. That I should be looking forward to something, not back to something that's already completed or already been completed. 
I'm called to trust in the Lord. You're called to trust in the Lord. It has an application before you come to know Him, and it has an application as you walk with Him. And so Solomon is telling us, listen, this is the peaceful way to live. You just go through your days trusting the Lord that He's got it all figured out and worked out, and it's being orchestrated in such a way that He will receive glory and good things are ultimately going to come to you. In every moment and in all circumstances, we're encouraged to trust the Lord. It's part of this blueprint Solomon's Solomon's specifying here. There's two other parts of this blueprint that we'll look at rather quickly, but I don't want to skip them. And Solomon brings them up here when we look at verses 9 and 10 for starters, where he tells us, honor the Lord with your wealth. Now, some of you right now are saying, what wealth, (laughs) right? Honor the Lord with your wealth. You're like, "That, that sounds wonderful in theory, pastor, but what wealth do you speak of? Is this a theoretical concept? Well, I'll just read Solomon's words, and I'm going to give you a couple thoughts that I hope will blow your mind. Is that a good teaser? I hope this blows your mind when you think about the concept of wealth. But look at what it says in verses 9 and 10. Solomon says, "'Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the firstfruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine.'" So that's in verses 9 and 10 of Proverbs chapter 3. So what does it look like for us to honor the Lord with our wealth? What does it look like to honor the Lord with your wealth? By the way, don't answer this out loud, but just answer it in your head. Do you personally feel wealthy? The ushers, by the way, are noticing who bobs their head, so don't bob your head. Don't give them, don't give them any inclination, right? Do you personally feel wealthy? Let me share a couple things here with you. I read a statistic not too long ago that stated that if you earn more than $34,000 per year, You are wealthier than 99% of the people living on the earth right now. What do you think about that? That if you earn more than $34,000 a year, you are wealthier than 99% of people living on this earth right now. Does that blow your mind, that statistic? Because it's all relative. We don't feel wealthy because we always look at the person that's wealthier, right, in our context, and we don't take the big picture, and it's like, wait a second. The average salary in the United States overall was somewhere between fifty dollars and $60,000 last year. That was the average, fifty dollars to $60,000 last year. But if you earn more than $34,000, you are wealthier than 99% of people here on the planet. But some of you right now are like, all right, whatever, I'm in college. Like, what is this to me? Here's a stat that I want those of you that are in college to consider for just a moment. If you have just $4,210 to your name, you are wealthier than 50% 50 of people living on this earth. If you have $4,210 to your name, you are wealthier than half the planet. Half the planet does not have $4,210 to their name. It's a recent statistic that I read. That was a statistic from 2018. So adjusted for inflation, it might be $4,215, right? But the point being, you know, whatever the number is, the Lord's called us to honor Him with our wealth. Now, I don't know how much the Lord's going to entrust you over the course of your life. It's likely that there are going to be others who are wealthier than you and others who are not as wealthy as you. But the Lord has promised to meet our needs. And like we sang about earlier, He has shown us that He is is sufficient for us. And when it comes to the resources He entrusts to us, I believe He sovereignly allows us to earn and receive what He has willed for us. He's got a plan. He's working out. 
and it's maybe complex and maybe not what we would choose, but he's got something that he's working out, and he just wants us to honor him with whatever he entrusts to us. Now, if we show that we won't worship money, which most people you and I know do worship money, there are people who will kill for money, there are people who will squelch their conscience for money, there are people who spend their, there are people who will sacrifice their family and time with their family for money. You know, there are plenty of people in our culture who worship money, but for us as believers in Jesus Christ, if we show that we won't worship money, but will glorify the Lord with whatever He entrusts to us, I think it seems likely from reading these portion, this portion of His Word that the Lord may, intru- may choose to entrust additional wealth to us if we don't worship it and if we use it to glorify Him. It doesn't seem unlikely to me that He may actually entrust additional wealth to you if you're going to use it the right way and not worship it. But if we don't honor Him with what He's already entrusted to us, I don't think He would be doing us much of a favor by giving us even more. I think it would be the opposite of a favor. It would be a disservice. So if we're going to turn money into an idol, so if in my life, if I turn money into an idol, I think the fatherly thing that the Lord can do for me would be to hold back from giving me more of something that might actually draw me away from Him. So if I'm going to worship it, I don't want Him to give it to me because He's sufficient. I would rather have no money and have Jesus than have money and not be following Jesus. So if the Lord entrusts something to me, I want to honor Him with it. If the Lord entrusts something to you, Solomon's counsel here as part of this blueprint is honor Him. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Don't let it be something that draws you away from the Lord. Let it be something that you glorify the Lord with. Honor Him with whatever He entrusts to you. And odds are, based on where we live... Most likely, at some point in your life, if not right now, you're going to be wealthier than 50% of the people living on this planet. So whether the Lord entrusts to you $4,000 or $4 million, honor Him with whatever He entrusts to you because it's just a stewardship. You have it for five minutes, and before you know it, your time on earth is finished, and you come before Him and you give an account for your life, and He's going to look at you and it's like, all right, what did you do with what I gave you? It wasn't yours to keep, it was yours to steward. What did you do with it? Oh, and I worshipped it. I chased after it to the sacrifice of my family and my health and my relationship with you. Really? Yeah, that's the wrong choice. Honor the Lord with your wealth. If you don't honor the Lord with your wealth, you'll end up worshipping it, and you'll chase after a whole bunch of things that'll destroy your life. And that's why Solomon, I think, includes this here in this concept of trusting the Lord and this blueprint for living a long and peaceful life. Don't waste your life chasing after something that you don't get to keep anyway. Be a good steward of it, but honor the Lord with whatever He entrusts to you. And there's one last thing He brings up here in this blueprint, and this is where we'll finish up today, and that's this, accept the Lord's discipline. Just accept His His discipline. Accept the discipline of the Lord. Look at what it says in verses 11 and 12, and this is where we'll finish. He says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of His reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father, the son in whom he delights. So as Solomon concludes this portion of the chapter, what he does is he points us toward one additional way that the Lord is actively demonstrating his love. And God shows us his love through disciplining us. And he doesn't discipline us because he hates us. His discipline is evidence of his love. 
So for this reason, you have Solomon encouraging us not to despise, not to resent, not to grow tired of the Lord's willingness to discipline us. God's discipline is protective and redemptive in nature. He's rescuing us from harm. He's leading us away from greater errors. He's showing us that He is sufficient, like we sang before. He's showing us that our lives are being compassionately overseen by one who cares for our well-being and is not shy about intervening in our lives in a corrective way. God is willing to do that. He's willing to intervene in my life and in your life in a corrective way because He does love us like a father loves a child. And as the Lord disciplines us, what He's doing is He's giving us an opportunity to learn, to confess, and to repent. Our sin has already been paid for by Jesus Christ. My sin and your sin has already been paid for by Jesus Christ. Through Christ, we are set free from our bondage to that sin. So I'm not bound to that sin any longer. You're not bound to that sin any longer either. And the discipline of God that's being spoken of here, it's a helpful way to get the taste of that sin out of our mouths. He's helping us realize that the sweetness of sin, the sweetness of rebellion against Him, is nothing but spoiled and bitter fruit. And He's trying to help us out with that. And the Lord compassionately looks at your life and my life, and He says, because I love you, I'm going to intervene. I'm not going to let you keep going on this path because this path is going to destroy you. And so I'm going to step in, and I'm going to correct. And it's probably going to hurt, but it's going to hurt a lot less than if I let you keep going in that direction. The blueprint for a long and peaceful life is not complicated. You know, when you look at what this scripture reveals to us, this blueprint that it's giving us here, it's not a complicated thing. It's not complicated at all. But more people reject this blueprint than accept it. More people that you know, more people that I know, reject it. Even professing Christians at times will reject this blueprint because sometimes there's still a part of our affections for this world that we just refuse to slay. We just don't want to give it up. We're like, nah, Jesus is good, but I want Jesus plus this other stuff. And here, when you look at this blueprint, what it's saying is, look, it ultimately all comes back to just trusting in the Lord, fearing Him, revering Him, respecting Him, putting Him on on, on the pedestal in our lives. But more people reject this blueprint than accept it. But as we trust in Jesus, and as we live out the fruit of that trust, there will be measurable benefit in our lives. And this chapter of Proverbs makes that abundantly clear. And so I want to finish with just this question. I just want to let it hang in the air. Which part of this blueprint are we still holding ourselves away from? Which part of that blueprint has not yet become something we prioritize? There's probably parts of this that we're saying, all right, Lord, I'm cool with this. I like this part. But are we being selective with what Scripture is telling us here? Is there some aspect of this blueprint that we need to really wrestle with whether or not we're keeping it at arm's length instead of embracing it as God's will for our growth as followers of His Son, Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for the privilege that it is to be able to look at a portion of Scripture like this today and realize that that You are good to us, You are compassionate, You are wise, and you, You choose to share Your wisdom with us. Lord, we know that the wisdom that we start off with is minimal. The wisdom we start out, off with isn't, isn't much wisdom at all. Lord, as, as young people, we have a lot of faith, 
you know, when we're children, we have a lot of faith. We have to have faith to just get by day by day. We trust the adults around us. We trust other people to make decisions for us. And hopefully we learn to trust you. But our wisdom is something that grows over time as we walk with you. And Lord, this portion of your word really gives us a springboard. This portion of your word helps us to see things from a new perspective. This portion of your word shows us a blueprint for what a long and peaceful life looks like. And again, Lord, we recognize that each of us are going to be given a different set of days. You, you haven't ordained that we all have the same amount of time here on this earth. We recognize that. But we also know that there's all sorts of needless conflict and pain and despair that we could end up bringing into our lives by ignoring the counsel of this portion of your word. So, Lord, help us please not to trust in our own wisdom. And help us please not to elevate any other source of information over the counsel of your word and the counsel that your Holy Spirit gives to us as we learn to apply your word to our day-to-day lives. We want to put you first in all areas, Lord. And we're grateful again to be shown these things as we look at this portion of Scripture. Lord, we pray that we would notice if there's any aspect of this blueprint that we're trying to keep at arm's length, and that by your grace we'd start to bring it near. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to just start off our week with some time to meditate on these things today. We love you, Lord. We're grateful for the privilege that it is to be able to do so. And we thank you, Lord, that you take the time to show your love and your your compassion to us like a father to a child. We're grateful for it all. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.